Hope everybody's going well today. Uh, on today's podcast, we have the one, the only Shay Fu. Now, uh, me and Shay talked for a good two and a half hours, so I've had to cut this episode up into uh, two parts. The other part will be on tomorrow, so you don't have to wait that long. Um, but yeah, hope you enjoy it. Uh, also, thank you to everybody that's supporting, especially in the Patreon. Uh, if you want to support the brother out, patreon.com forward slash the Provise Project. But um, yeah, we talk about a lot of really cool things. Um, uh, you mean Shay's a gamer, like I, like a big time gamer. So um, it'll be it, it was just cool. We talk about um, to be specific uh, and all of his albums and uh, just him growing up in Ponsonby in the um, in the in the eighties. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. Hope uh, if you can give it a, a like and share it on social media. Uh, it was a really cool uh, interview. But anyway, guys, we'll catch you on the next episode tomorrow. All right, see you. Shay, are you there? Can you hear me, brother? Good, bro. What's good? Kia ora. atu ki akwe, bro. Hey, thank you, brother. Back at you. Malolo nakai, bro. Eh, malolo fukawalahi. Pihen hii nakoi. The missus is no way, bro, just to let you know. Oh, hey, hey, homo, homo. Bro, I've got, uh, yo, and I'll tell you what, this is the proudest she's ever been of me. Oh, so. <laughs> she was like, what? You, you, hey. And I was like, yeah, yeah, because, bro, for years and years, I would always give her shit about, bro, I'm sure you're, you've got to be related to Shefu somewhere, eh, honey? And she's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, baba. <laughs> but anyway. Anyway, brother, how you been? I'm good, my G. Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we had a little chat before, but thank you so much, bro. I really appreciate it, eh? Hey, pleasure, bro. Bro, they say that, like, you know, uh, when you speak to someone in their native language, in Vangaho uh, Nui, you know, it's like speaking to their soul. And that's why I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get it in. I'm, I'm going to make sure that I, I present myself well. Oh, thank you very much, brother. Appreciate that. All right, bro. Oh, man, I've been, uh, yo, I've got to be honest. Like, I, I talked to you about this. I've got a, we've got a mutual friend and uh, my good friend, Shannon. And Shannon said to me, and, and it was the, the best compliment he ever said to me. He said, you know what, Tim? Like, yeah, because I told him I'm a big Shea Fu fan. And he said, bro, you and Shay are like two peas in the pot. you got a very, very similar uh, likes and things. <laughs> I love my, I love my, uh, my, my pop culture. I love my sneakers. I love my basketball. I love my hip hop. And I heard that, and, and, and you know, like, that's you really right yeah you're right you're right shan would know bro so shout out to my man shan what's good luck uh but yeah bro uh sounds like uh, we are into the same things my man yeah oh, let's get into it bro i need to know this story okay now a lot uh, this story has been documented a lot but i need to hear it from the man himself four years old 1979 brother you're on stage with bob marley get out of here brother how yeah, bro. did that happen my g Ah, uh, shucks, bro. Uh, that was through my mum, bro. So my mum, uh, at that time, uh, her and her friends uh, basically had a lot of, like like me, had a lot of kids, right? And so they couldn't go to the concert because it was like R18. And so uh, what she did, she uh, basically rang up the, the hotel. They were staying at uh, the Green Lane, White Heron, uh, which was a hotel out in Green Lane. And uh, she basically just called them up and she got a hold of Rita Mali. And she just uh, told her her story, like, you know, she wished she could come, her and her friends could come, but she can't. And so Rita Mali, being the wonderful lady that she is, she said to come up to the hotel. So uh, I can't really remember that day, but apparently I went with mum and we went up to the hotel and she got some uh, backstage party. And that's how we got into the concert. 
Bro, it's really, it's really funny, you know, because uh, we all call, you know, Uncle Bob. We were like, hey, Uncle Bob, Uncle Bob, Uncle Bob. But actually, you're probably the closest thing to Uncle Bob, to be honest. In oh, life. You've yo, been there. Uh, you know it's very saying? high praise, my brother. It's very high praise. But yeah, very fortunate to go to their concert, I tell you. It's something that will always stay with me. And obviously, uh, Bob Marlin and his music is very strong. And Alfano, as well as uh, many, many of our other brothers and sisters out there in the Motu. Yeah. Where? Yeah, she told me, you know, she told me everything. She was kind of like, yeah. uh, you know, this way. Because, you know, when I'm when, when you're growing up, you know, people are playing um, No Woman, No Cry on, on a guitar. And then and then when yeah. the Fugees come out, I was like, oh, man, that's the song that my mom used to play all the time. And then, uh, and then when you put one-on-one together, you're like, hey, didn't you say that you, you know, like, yeah, bro, he's got such a massive, why do you think that he has such a massive uh, connection with the, with the Tangata Whenua and, and uh, not just the Tangata Whenua of New Zealand, but all of the native uh, kind of Yeah, bro. I feel you. Yeah. Indigenous people all the way around the world can relate to it. And I guess it's just because of the, the themes that he was touching on in, in the songs. And it's coming from a people that was taken away from their homelands brought to this place of Jamaica. And so obviously they're on the bottom rung when it comes to the economic uh, sort of side of things. And so his songs were about being uh, taken away from his homeland, uh, being oppressed. And I think uh, a lot of those themes, obviously people like ourselves, we can relate to that. And I think it struck a chord with us because the buzzy thing is brother, you got to remember that there was no advertising. There was no uh, sort of posters or any sort of radio ads for this, for that man and that type of music, reggae music. And you got to say that uh, it's definitely on the power of uh, the music itself because it's huge in the Pacific. You know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, it's, it's definitely to the power of his, his words and what he was talking about. Yeah, so, yeah. And even to this day, man, like you go back and you listen to just the words, like, you know, the music's beautiful, but you listen to the purest, the purity of the words and what he's trying to say. And you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. man, people, people need to kind of understand and have more, have more afi, man, have more love and, and sure. aroha. And, and so that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. Especially in, I mean, this climate, like this day and age of, um, I mean, in the last couple of weeks, you know, with yeah, yeah. Black Lives Matter, it's, it's more important than ever to have like, you know, empathy and, uh, and stuff like that. Right. Absolutely. And Bob Marley was definitely all about that. You know, he was about that struggle about, uh, bringing to light issues that, that uh, sort of we, get, we face as uh, people because of, uh, of our uh, place in society and uh, because of simple things like the color of our skin. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, obviously his, his, his music was powerful. Yeah. All right, bro, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote some stuff from, and this is from, bro, this, I've always thought that the, the, the intro for Chains that did not get put out was the most strongest shit I've ever heard in my life. And I'm going to quote it. I never asked you to put a cafe in my street looking at me like, a, looking at me like another refugee, bro. And that shit is so strong. And I, bro, I, like, and when I first heard that, I didn't understand because I was young. All right, I didn't understand. Yeah. I didn't understand the dawn raids. I didn't understand what was going on, the gentrification of uh, Ponsonby. I didn't understand that. But now, the older I got, the more I understood that. And that was one. Like you, how old were you when you wrote that? Oh, uh, I guess I would have been about nineteen. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just to have yeah. the and I'll uh, and I'll quote you just to have the cipher, brother. Just to understand, like, holy shit, like, you know, that's so true. And and that gentrification went on, like, stronger and stronger. Nothing got done about it. And it's very sure. it's very relevant to today's landscape. 
And um, yeah. bro, I just gotta give you that. But um, I mean, Dad was Dad was the guy, right? Dad was the guy that led. I mean, put those not put those words in, but put those ideas in. Is that a good assessment? Am I absolutely? Correct? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it was definitely because of growing up around my parents and the work that they did. That definitely sort of opened my eyes up to that sort of thing quite early. Yeah, and so it was quite widely known uh, 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 through throughout the. Uh, kids that grew up in that place. So I wasn't the only one, but I guess I was one of the, one of those kids that actually uh, wrote a rap about it and got to put it out as, as a single. But there was many of us who grew up in that world that uh, knew about it. And uh, most definitely it was down to the work that my parents did. Uh, plus you also got to remember, I grew up in and around uh, the 12 tribes of Israel uh, faith, which was very strong in terms of uh, the music. And so I grew up in and around those sort of band rooms. So when it came to writing songs for myself, that was definitely a touchstone for me in terms of themes to write about. You know what I mean? It was quite obvious in my area, things were changing. So that definitely gave me a material to, to, to speak about because the thing was like, you got to understand that that version there about Ponsonby, that was actually the, the original version of Chains. Mm. So what happened was like, uh, when the, the big homie uh, DLT asked me to, to do a track for his album, that was the original that I did. Uh, it got to the record company and then uh, there was some issues with it, with a and or whoever was in power, they didn't really think that that would work in the market. So that's when we did the version that everyone else knows. But uh, on the record, uh, the Ponsby version was was uh, sort of listed as a remix, but uh, actually that was the original. That was the original? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Man, it's kind of, uh, you know, the, 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 the man trying to, you know, keep, I mean, did you feel that way? I mean, as a 19, 20 year old, you would have been like, bro, like I wrote that from my heart and you fellas want to just take it out. Cause. A know. little bit, but you got to understand it wasn't my project. It was my man. It was my bro's project. So, you know, it was for him. So I didn't mind putting in the work for whatever he needed to get done. Cause like, that's the sort of relationship that we had. Uh, and so uh, you got to understand that was also the first song that I ever wrote to be commercially released and the first rap, you know, the first bars I ever wrote to be commercially released up until that point in terms of the rhymes that I was writing, it had all been for live stuff for my uh, crew, uh, token village and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so it was really, uh, you know, I was hella nervous, you know what I'm saying? And so I needed to find a theme that I felt was, was strong enough to be uh, like a first outing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I'm um, coming back to you. Uh, Pop said, "Tigelo was like, what was, what can you remember back with the um when you're growing up with the Polynesian Panthers and the movement that you saw? What, 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 what springs into mind with like the first kind of oh snap, I know what this is now." Word. Well, a lot of meetings. You know what I mean? A lot of meetings. There was so many, you know, porphyries. So many meetings at Marai and different sort of places. As a kid, I would just obviously be dragged along to these things, and there'd be a lot of talking. You know what I'm saying? As a kid, it's just talking. You know what I mean? But I would the faces that I would see, I would later on recognize as being, you know, real big in the scene as I got older and understood who they were in in the in society. People like Honi Hardewuda. Uh, the Natamator, uh, people, uh, people like Will Lahia, people like, uh, you know, people of that ilk that were in that scene, used to see them quite a lot. So I have strong memories of that. Uh, also, I have a strong memory, uh, like before uh, my father, or during that period, my dad went to England, I guess in 77, 78. And so when he, he left New Zealand, he had a big afro, right? 
And uh, when he came back, he had dreadlocks. You know, he came back in 78, 79. And that, that always stuck with me. I was like, wow, that's, that's different. Eh? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And that's when I guess the whole sort of Rasta thing started happening. And so that's what I remember from that period of time. You know, a lot of, a lot of meetings, a lot of uh, yelling, a lot of arguments. Uh, Bastion Point, you know, I remember that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that was crazy because a lot of people obviously remember what was filmed and on, 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 on your sort of uh, well-known footage and that. But what people don't realize is that Bastion Point, that whole occupation was over a year. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we would go up there, you know what I mean? During the whole year. And so it seemed like quite a long time for me. And a lot of it was like basically going up to Bastion Point, uh, Obviously, there would be like camps and like, you know, tents and stuff. But everyone would sit around the fire and play music and, and jam out Bob Marley songs and, and whatnot. And uh, that would happen like through the whole year. Yeah. Obviously, at the end, that's when everybody, that's when all the leo leos and whatnot happened and, and so forth. But, you know, that's also something that really uh, stays with me, you know, in terms of uh, from the period of time. Is, um, uh, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, bro. Is that the one that was like, uh, nah, I'm not going to cut my afro off? Is that the, when he was in the school? That was before that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. That was after that. That was after that. That was way after that. So yeah, yeah. When he was going to Mag's uh, Man of the Grammar, he got asked to uh, cut his hair, which he had issues with because it was part of the new way culture. Yeah. Also, it was also part of being a rebel. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, that was, that was way before that. Cause that's bro. Even that, and even that story in itself is crazy, right? Like if that, especially in Nui culture, you know, with hair cuttings and things like and stuff like that, that stuff's just culturally inappropriate. Like, like, and back yeah. then, it yeah, was yeah. Uh, there was a lot of things that was okay, like you know, that were like well shunned upon. But um, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, that was indicative of the time. You know, I mean, obviously that was that was for back then. That's why I really appreciate what my dad did because we don't have to miss with that now. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That was that's that's dope. So you went to uh, what primary? Did you go to Greenland primary? I went to Richmond. Richmond. Oh yeah, shit. yeah. What was it, what was life like in uh, Richmond? And uh, also, what's that like? Seventies, eighties. <laughs> Yo, was it seventies, my <laughs> G? Yo, <laughs> come on, bro. Eighties, uh, eighties, bro. Yeah, eighties. Yeah. Uh, Richmond was awesome, bro. I loved it. It was uh, hella uh, multicultural, bro. It was yeah. just like we had the first bilingual unit, Pacific Island bilingual unit in the country. And so all the brothers and sisters were coming over straight, straight, straight to GL, bro. Uh, and uh, what I really loved, bro, was uh, was the cultural group. I was in the cultural group. Yo. And what was mean was like uh, it wasn't like the the Nguyen group, the Tongan group, the Salmon group. It was just you did it all. You know what I mean? You Yo. did the salsa, you did the drum dance, you did the haka. So I really enjoyed that aspect of the whole sort of unifying thing. It was just it was just everybody. You know what I'm saying? And then you went to Ponsonby Intermediate, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. normally, like, wouldn't, like, that, I mean, you're on Summer Street, correct? So oh, sucks. The research of the, Nadwa, Nadwa. That's, oh, my man. Yeah, come, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've come to the right place, brother. My man, my man, my Bro, this is just the start, brother. I'm just <laughs> telling you. Yo. So, like, normally they go to Kofi Intermediate, right? Well, that, that was the traditional route from Central. Yep, yep, no doubt. That was my father's route, yeah. And then, yeah, is that why, uh, and, and like, because Ponsonby Intermediate was quite new then, right? Or is it, was it, was it quite an older school? 
No, I mean, it's been there, it had been there for a while, but it was still pretty much like an extension to me anyway of, of Richmond. It was definitely multicultural when I was there. They were definitely uh, sort of open plan teaching, you know what I mean? Definitely more into the feelings and that sort of thing, which was great, you know what I mean? And uh, it was a shocker when we went to high school, though. Because <laughs> yeah. you, know. you went to Western Springs. Was it, was it, was it Western Springs or was it Seddon? Seddon. Yeah, yo. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bro, um, yo. Um, was that – because is that the reason was, – was that the reason why you didn't go to Max? Were you like, nah, fuck that? Uh, a little bit, star because uh, – well, I, there was a reason – because I grew up right next to St. Paul's. Obviously, yeah. if we're talking about location, I should have gone to that school. But uh, because my parents were strongly uh, Catholic, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my parents were Rastafarian, strong, strong, strong with the Bible. And so they deterred from those types of schools. And rather, I went to a a, a more a modern school, I guess. Bro, what was the go to? Because I mean, you had to catch a bus, right? From from possibly yeah, yeah, bro. Um, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, it was it was buzzy, bro. It was yeah. buzzy being um um. Maori Islander <laughs> around there having to walk past St. Paul's and you're not from there, bro. Yeah, yeah. You either you either a good fighter, bro, or fast runner. I, I was neither, bro. I was neither, bro. That's why join the band was some balangis. I was the opposite. I went to JC, right? I went to JC, bro. I was either like, I had the biggest mouth on the block. I was talking mad spicy shit, but I had the biggest. Uh, bro, I was boys of all the fighters. I'm like, hey. So hey, the bro, that's that's really <laughs> where I learned my multilingual. Like I, I, I learned. Hey, that's how you get funny. Hey, you get funny. Fuck it, I'm funny. Yeah, I was like, hey, Yo. and then especially when I started learning all the swear words from all the different cultures, and sure. I was like, sure. I'd say it, and then oh shit, that's standard. Yeah, Yo. yeah, yeah. So like, Bye. um, catching that bus, bro. What was the go-to in the morning, bro? At the at the at the busy bee at the busy bee dairy, bro. What did you oh, use to what did you use crap? Oh, you know your you know your stuff, my G. Oh, yeah, the Buzzy Bee Dairy was definitely the hub, bro. Uh, actually, next door to the Buzzy Bee was the Takeaways, and that was the hub. Reason why that was the hub is because they had Street Fighter, World Warrior, in there. And so, for our area, that was the place, and that was like a good sort of five minutes walk from my door. And so, yeah, that was that was kind of like a place a place that we would congregate at. But uh, yeah, catching the bus was always, you know, I'll tell you something. Uh, like, I would catch the bus. It'd be the the second bus stop on the on the route, so I'd be the the second stop at the beginning, and at the first stop, uh, a, a young lady would get on, and uh, you know we'd see each other on the bus, you know, and this this is during my high school years all throughout, and like you know, a few years later I married this lady, <laughs> yo, oh, shout out so, to by the way, right? <laughs> and so yeah, man, it was all uh, definitely uh, a strong Ponsonby Central uh, sort of thing, catching the bus and 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 uh, whatnot. Bro, let's be honest. You were flexing trying to get an older lady. Let's be honest. Ah, uh, yo, peace, 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 hey. peace, Margie, peace. So, bro, <laughs> um, what, bro? Describe the vibe, bro. Describe what the vibe used to be like going into the hall, bro. Twelve tribes of uh, the the band session going on your first time, bro. What was the vibes like going? Because because there's different chapters, right? There's like the cooking. Am I correct? Like there's a cooking area, or like yeah. you know, there's people that are into cooking. There's people that are into um, music, and you obviously went there. What was the vibe like when you went first time? You signed up, and you went in there, brother. What was that like? Oh, it was a crazy experience, bro. Uh, something that I'd never experienced before or even after. Uh, so, but I mean, it might be quite similar to many other people's 
congregations, many other people's uh, houses of worship. You know, we, we, we had structured ways of worship. And one of the, one of the things that we would do would be uh, we put on events and we'd call these events dances and they would represent the particular tribe for that month. Each month represented a tribe based on the Bible and the Hebrew calendar. And so these dances that we would put on uh, would consist of uh, a, a band, uh, reggae DJs, uh, people who would toast, which is speak on the mic, chat in Jamaican language, patois. Uh, and so this would happen once a month. And so we'd have 12 of those a year, as, as well as maybe four other sort of events on top of that. And so this went on for like a good, you know, 20 years, you know what I'm saying? And so it was crazy, bro, growing up like that. Uh, heavily, heavily Jamaican culture, you know what I mean? Uh, strong with that sort of style of things, Caribbean culture. Uh, and the other thing was everybody was Maori and Pacific Island, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so uh, it, was, it was out there. Yo, and it was me. Because you were yeah. on rhythm guitar, correct? You were the guitarist? Oh, in the 12 Tribes? Yeah, yeah. What were you in the 12 Oh, no, no. I was way uh-huh. too young for that. No, oh. I was way too young for that. No, no, no. I played rhythm guitar in, in uh, a blues band called oh, the Low Down Dirty Blues Band. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, Don't yeah. Worry, no, no, but, no, no, but, the, but in the 12 Tribes... Yeah, what were you doing in the 12 uh, Tribes? Uh, so, like, like you mentioned before, there were different, what we would call bodies, what? meaning there would be a cooking body, uh, an artwork body. Uh, there was a work body. They would go out and like, uh, they were like a co-op, a commercial co-op that would go out and uh, work on the roads doing uh, different contracts and that. And so it was kind of like, I think there's plenty of churches out, th- out there that do that sort of same sort of thing. It was similar to that, but with, a, with heavy lashings of, of Jamaican culture. Mm-hmm. And so the cooking body would like cook like predominantly Car- Caribbean foods, like curry goat, uh, jerk chicken, uh, rice, you know what I mean? That sort of thing. Uh, and the music that we would practice and play, the, the, that the band would practice and play was predominantly reggae. Uh, the, the style that the DJs would, would say and speak like would be like Jamaican style, patois. And so this was heavy with it. And like I say, it was like out of it because I knew that a lot of these people had just arrived from, you know, Danny Verk, Wellington, you know what I'm saying? And like straight with the dreadlocks and the, 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 the red, gold and green banners and, and, and whatnot. And it was, it was, it was beautiful, man. It was, it was really, really cool uh, to grow up in that sort of environment. And definitely, um, as, as in context of what we're saying, it definitely shaped me in terms of the music. Yeah. So, like, in terms of, um, so let's, because I know you're a big Star Wars dude, and, and I get that. Uh, do, do you say, and, and so am I, to a certain degree, I don't think I'm on your level, but I, I think I'm around <laughs> that level. Would you say that, uh, like, you know, like your Obi-Wan in terms of like understanding. Ooh. Just, uh, I don't know, like y- your voice mm-hmm. and everything else. Do you think it would be Stevie Wonder, my bro? Oh, sorry, bro. I'm missing the question. Like, do I did think you, I'm like... No, no, no. Do you think, like, did you learn a lot from just listening to Stevie Wonder and, and, and that kind of... Was Stevie Wonder oh, I, the guy? Got you. Uh, he was definitely the main guy, no doubt. He was definitely... In terms of how to, how to sing? Yeah. Yeah, word. He was definitely the main guy. I... Uh, Yo, yeah, used to copy his his songs all the time. That's how I learned to sing by copying him to uh, by copying his songs and how he uh, would sing. I would basically uh, say like I'd play Superstition, but just like the first uh, ten seconds or whatever, and I'd try and emulate that ten seconds. And after I could do that, I'd, I'd move on. 
And so it was just like as simple as that. And after a year of doing that, uh, I sort of got really uh, a, a lot more, I got a hold of my instrument, you know what I'm saying? I could, I could yeah. sing how I wanted to sing. And so he was one. Uh, Aaron Hall was another. Aaron Hall is a, was a singer in a, a group called Guy, along with uh, T.D. Riley and Damien Hall. Yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, a guy called Donny Hathaway, who was, uh, you know, a uh, cat from the, you know, the soul era, 60s and 70s. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think those three, bro. Okay. Yeah. What What does the song um, <clears throat> Lover Man from Otis Redding mean to you, bro? Oh, uh, that was one of the first songs I ever sang for uh, the Low Down Dirty Blues Band, which was what we were called before we changed that name to Supergroove. Was that so the that's first almost- time you had to sing something? Ah, uh, yes. Yes, I think it was. It was it was that and maybe a Blues Brothers song, but I'm pretty sure it was was uh, uh I'm a love man. Yeah. Oh, look at see. I'm telling you, brother, I'm I'm a professional. I'm the You f- are. You I'm, are my I'm G. The, I'm, the, yep. I'm the hood professional. You got me. You got me. But that's Work. all I got, G, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> the other hey, side, look, the rest is rubbish Star Wars references. <laughs> Would you think like who would be who would be someone? Uh, let's say like uh, Anakin Skywalker, you know, he th- and he, he got he got you know fucked up in the other ones, and he came back. Do you reckon that's uh, Mighty Asterix, bro? When he got kicked out of the band, <laughs> you reckon? Yo, that was yeah, 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 I like, see yo. where you're going with it. Yeah, that's a good parallel. Uh, maybe, bro. But the Mighty Asterix, he was more like a he, he's more like a sensei to me. So he'd be like Yoda to me. He he'd be like Yoda? my Yoda. You know what I'm saying? I'd be like his Padawan. So. Big ups to the Mighty Asterix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's because, um, because like he kind of went away, right? He was, you know, when you think about it, he kind of was like Yoda. Because then, you know, you catch up with Luke. Luke catches him on uh, what, what was the bloody, what was the uh, the the island that that, that uh, man, you're gonna get me on this one, I know. Um, no, not even, bro. No, 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 no. You know the planet, bro, that he went to, and it's like a jungle, you know. And then old Yoda comes down. Da, uh, they, da, 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 Dagobah. That's Dagobah system. Yeah, yeah. So he goes into Dagobah. Sorry. Luke goes into Dagobah, and then there's old Asterix right there. Old, old, old Shay's <laughs> little Luke. And old, he's like, "Hey, bro, I yeah, found yeah. this way." Mind you, I hated Luke, though, my G. I hated Luke. Like straight up, I'll be one hundred. I hated Luke. Oh, who was um, bro? You, you seem to me like a like a Boba <laughs> Fett, Jenga Fett kind of a dude. Oh, heavy. Outfit all the way, straight up. I'm an Empire Strikes Back guy. Like, you know, that's my favorite of the series. Uh, the dude, uh, Irvin Kushner, the director, was the man. Like, yo, he made that stuff believable for me. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right, because he got kicked off, right? Oh, did, did Asterix get kicked out? Asterix? The young, the mighty Asterix from, of the from, 12, the 12 trucks? Not, not no? that I know, brother. Okay. Nah. nah. Was he, he was in there though, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And he went yeah, away he and came back and he was like, one love, one that guy. And then all of a sudden it was like, whoa. Oh, I I'm not I'm yeah, I I'm not sure what you what you're meaning. Uh but he did uh he just he I, I guess he he eventually left. He must have. I've never really spoken to him about okay. that, uh, to be honest. But I think things genuinely generally uh slow down for the for the TTI during during the period of time, but it's still going on with a few members. But uh yeah, he's now living in Australia. Oh. I get to catch up with him. Well, I did catch up with him a couple of times. Actually, went over there with his son Israel Star. Your know, shout outs to you, Israel. Uh, and so that was a hell of a time having being there with the like the I guess the trinity of of the Asterix. Yeah, it was great. Uh, and so he did, he did some stuff with uh, DLT, right? That was when yeah, yeah, most deaf, most deaf. Yeah, yeah, quite, quite, quite early after. He also did uh, his own stuff through Deep Grooves. I remember he did a couple of projects with them. 
And uh, yeah, bro, I mean, that guy, you know, like, like I said, hands down, he, he helped put me on, you know what I'm saying, in terms of uh, how, how to sing and stuff. Basically, that style of, of copying Stevie Wonder, I, I copied off him, you know what I mean? Because uh, at one stage, he wasn't, you know, I, I don't want to sound bad, but there was a definitely a period of time where his skills just went boom. Yeah, that's what I want. That's and what I I'm asked, trying to get at. And I asked him, like, yo, how, how'd you do that? And he basically said to me, that, uh, you know, he, he actually was carrying the records with him, pulled out his bag and had these like eight or six records. And it was like Earth, Wind and Fire, Stevie Wonder, wow. and guys that he liked. And he basically said, you know, these are the guys I like. You know what I mean? So I thought, well, you know, I'll do the same sort of thing with the guys I like. And that's how it, that's sort of how it came about. Hey, yeah. All right, let's get into the super groove, bro. Like how uh, did, so it was uh, low down duty in, uh, in high school, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden, uh, it changed from like a blues band to like a James Brown type of feel, like a, yeah. like a groovy type buzz. Like what was, I mean, for you, cause I mean, you know, like you were, you were just playing guitar and then all yeah. of a sudden, you know, the, 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 the one Brown face in that, you know, it was like, Oh shit. Like oh. this dude can actually sing. Like what was, the early, oh, what was yeah. the early days? Like, like, cause there was no social media. So nobody knew anything. Yeah. How, how did you guys get around from place to place without using any type of marketing or anything? Oh yeah. So bro, uh, truth be told, there was a period of time before social networking. <laughs> and, yo, and like back in the day, people would like do gigs and tour. <laughs> and that's how you would basically get discovered for doing shows. And we, would, we, we did that. That's the traditional route. Uh, it's still pretty much the backbone of getting, uh, getting out there. Obviously, since the advent of social networking, there's a lot of other things to the game now. But still, it, it does pay to be prepared to do gigs and tour. Uh, and so we did that back in the day. And that's how we got out and about. So we, we gig and toured in, in Auckland. Uh, we got uh, approached by a guy who wanted to manage us. He, uh, he then, um, this guy was Stuart Broughton. Shout out to Stu. He uh, basically, Supergroove's uh, marketing was all down to that guy. He was really onto it. Uh, he had a great mind for putting on themed shows. And uh, we then eventually started touring New Zealand and we made a strong sort of, uh, uh, built a strong reputation on, on doing like crazy shows. You know what I mean? And uh, meaning like quite energetic shows. Uh, and that's how we sort of got discovered by record companies. They started approaching us and so forth. We got to radio and that, that used to be the traditional route. Because, uh, I mean, yeah, when, what, what, was the, what was the day like when they figured out that you could sing how you, I mean, because it all kind of came together. What was that like? Uh it was weird, bro. Yeah, it, was weird. <laughs> it was weird for me. Me personally, it was weird because I never really want to be no front guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So what happened was like, uh, when I joined the band, I was the guitarist. I played guitar for the first four years. And then um, somehow uh, uh, one of the guys, I think it was Carl asked, or, what, or Joe, I can't remember. Someone asked if I could sing a particular song. I said, yep, I have a blast at it. We did the gig. I did the song. And a lot of the uh, supergroup parents were there and they all were kind of like, yo, we think Shay should maybe sing a little bit more. That's the feeling I got, whether, that, whether that's how it happened, but that's how it felt like to me. Like uh, everybody sort of thought, you know, maybe he, he should sing a little bit more. I was always like, thought I could sing well, but I wasn't terribly confident, you know what I'm saying? So that's when I started practicing, you know what I mean? That's when I started like uh, really training hard. And, uh, and that's how that whole sort of uh, 
front guy singing guy sort of kicked off. Because you, did you have any like training like as a singer? No, not 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 traditionally. Like I said, all I did was practice for a year yeah. doing that doing that thing of copying other uh, other R and B and soul singers. Because yeah. when did because uh, when did your mum start like uh, working with Robin? <laughs> Damn, G. Yo, so around about that period of time, she was working with Robin Hill, who was uh, a prominent uh, uh, vocal coach and singing teacher. And uh, yeah, she started working with her for a bit. Uh, that was a little bit before then. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, that would have been a trip, man. Would have been like, oh, yeah. okay, now I'm a singer now. Like all of a sudden, like, you know, yeah. holy shit. Like it would have been yeah. crazy. Yeah, actually, it was like maybe a decade decade after that i uh i actually uh got together with robin to help me with some i had had a little trouble with my vocals at one point i was a bit sick and so she helped me out so uh she is a legend no doubt yeah um and then like because i read about this promo tour that you took with supergroove and i was a bit like whoa that sounds like a bit of a trip bro you got how old were you guys when you went on this like it was like india and all these other places how old were you then it would have been still in high school Nah, I was 20. I oh, was 20. Okay. Sweet. Yeah, just turned 20. Uh, Man, that would be a trip, bro. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. I turned 21 on the road uh, oh, in, in Germany. That was crack up. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was missing home, right? And like uh, the only phone that I could get to was at the venue. So when I got to the venue, I'm like having a heart-to-heart with my family. <laughs> hey, my mom, my dad, I miss you, you know, because I really wanted to obviously – you know, being a kid from New Zealand, the 21st is like a big thing, you know what I mean? But uh, so anyway, I'm on the phone crying, but the phone was at the front of the venue. And at the venue, there was like 500 people lining up. <laughs> so they're watching this funny island boy crying on the phone. <laughs> but yo, uh, so yeah, I was about 20 when we uh, did that, that trip to uh, India and uh, everywhere else. So like, I mean, I'm only coming for an, uh, an assumption type thing. And I, listen, I, I've been... I've been the 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 one um, multi fella, like you know, half cast multi fella in like a, a gang of uh, Pakeha, and then, uh, bro, I gotta be honest, I felt I felt like a I felt like a outcast, and I yeah. would, I'm I'm just assuming, bro, I don't know, but did you yeah, ever yeah. feel like that, bro? Oh, heavy, bro, not so much in the band, like in that world, though. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. You gotta understand that the music industry at that time was predominantly uh, European. You know what I'm saying. And so what, what I mean that the industry was when I would go to the music awards or when I go to the radio station, like this was like, like a decade before my, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This was like a different uh, period of time. Uh, rock still ran things, you know what I'm saying? Rock music, you know what I mean? So there weren't that many uh, uh, Maori or Pacific Island people that I would see, you know, out and about in that industry. So in that way, yeah, it felt like a little... You know what I mean? I felt a little lonely out there. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but I did feel like I represented us when I was out there, so I didn't want to mess that up. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I I crack up. I like because I, I was thinking about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, some of the people that I would see would be like cats like Oscar, Oscar yeah. Kitely. Oh, yo, he yeah. was out. Yeah, he was out in the bout, bro. That 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 bro was killing it back then. You know what I mean? Because during that period of time, he was writing for the New Zealand Herald. He had a little, uh, had a little column there, and so we would go to these like industry soirees or parties, and like I see him DJing, yo, and I'd be like, "Yo, what's up, bro?" And uh, so you're right. It was a different world out there at that time. It's a little different now, but yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, like, and like that's what I was trying to. Th- my segue into was like the the and I, I hey listen, I know that you can't go too hard in it, and, and I don't want to force your <laughs> hand at all. My man, my man, let's go. But that decision, yo, and I know, and I know that, and I, I can sense that in your heart of hearts. Your, I mean, it's finished and over. But that decision that they made to get rid of you, bro, that was the yep. dumbest shit I've fucking heard in my life right now. I'm like, yep. I, I, as I was, as I went through some of your footage, and I could feel like, I could feel that. You know, like you just accepted it at the time, obviously. But right now, you're like, "Hey, listen, this is just the the landscape that I was in." But was that yeah. like a band decision, or was it more of a label decision? As far as I know, bro, it was a label decision. But ultimately, it is a band decision. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? But yeah, yeah. That and kind of I do. Up. I feel for my man's. Like, you know what I mean? Like. Because you got to understand, we were just young, bro. Mm. And you got the potential of taking over the world in your mind in terms of releasing an album. Because you got to understand, like, what people don't remember is that we just done this big tour, the one that you spoke about, their promo tour. Yeah. So their promo tour did was, was good, bro. We caned it. So there was all these territories ready to pick us up, right? Because the tour did amazing. From, like, you know, Singapore to... You know what I mean? To Africa, to, you know what I mean? All over the place, bro. To Helsinki, to Norway, you know what I mean? They all loved the, the, the band and they, they wanted to drop the album. So we, we felt like we were on the precipice of something huge, like huge. And so uh, to have that taken away, that was, that was cold because we'd like worked quite a lot to, to get to that point. And so for the boys to make that decision, I could understand how uh, the seriousness of it, you know what I mean? And, uh, and for me, yeah, they made the wrong decision. And for Tim, Tim was the other guy that was also asked to, to sign a res- resignation. Tim was the trumpet player. So we were two, us two were, were asked to leave. Man, and so, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty sore. That part. I mean, we've done a lot of work. The world tour was dope. We were about to be the biggest new thing since, you know, Topsies, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, oh, man, like, I just kind of, like, yeah, I just, you wonder who, and I mean, like I said, whether it was a, oh, shit, like, because all, and I'm going to say, this is my opinion, all of the good songs right. were the ones that you were like, I was like, I'll, I'll listen to the ones that the bro's on, but the rest of them, yeah, I'm a bit like, yeah, I don't know. And they were good songs, don't get me wrong. But like, I just vibed with your songs and I was like, yo, okay, let's go. But then when that happened, I was like, oh, okay. Were you, were you, were you fucking with DLT before like that, that shit happened or? Just before that tour. So just before that tour is when we recorded Chains. So I went on the tour came back and he dropped it. And then I got asked to leave. And then that week was, uh, was when Chains went gold. So it all sort of like, that you know what I mean? That would have been a blur, man. I was crazy for a young man. Like I tell you, the, the head trip was just nuts. You know what I mean? Like I just, you know, got kicked out of one band and then just gone gold with this other cat. So it was a crazy time. Yeah. But uh, like I say, uh, uh, so yeah, I hooked up with Daryl, DLT, uh, while I was with Supergroup, uh, because prior to that, uh, during a couple of the tours, we brought on Daryl to to come on the road with Supergroup, and so him, uh, Rhythm Slave, and Otis, uh, Manuel Bundy, uh, 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 Urban Disturbance, they were known as uh, Leaders of Style, which was uh, 
Zane Lowe's crew. Oh, yep. That's right. Rap crew. And so, yeah, during that period of time, that's how we met those guys. And that's how I made the link with Daryl. Man, because, yeah. bro, like, what a what a serendipitous thing to happen. You know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, it's like, boom, and then, hey, hell, this is what happened. Yeah. That would have been so, like, when you think about it, if Supergroup would have just, you know, just stayed in their label, oh, no, not Supergroup, but the, the, the label would have just been like, hey, let's just see what happens. Right. Yeah. And, and literally, like, if they would have just shut their mouth in, like, three weeks and made a decision three weeks later, yeah. yo, Supergroup would have been humongous. Like, because they've got yo. this guy that's, Amazingly talented and done chains. That would and and it wasn't. It was DLT featuring Shea Food Chains. It wasn't Shea Food, and that would have you know that would have hyped them up even more. Yeah, yeah. The what ups. Uh, there, there's many of those, eh, brother. Yeah, Most definitely, like uh, yeah. For me, I would have thought that yeah, Supergroup would have been uh, a, a good look if yeah. we had to stay together on that buzz. Hard out. Yeah. Do you yeah. think that? Do you think that doing chains with um with uh dlt had any was any catalyst to them kind of going actually nah bro because you seem like bro and and i i mean i don't really you know i'm just yeah. you seem like from everything else like a loyal dude like you know you ain't out there you just wanted to make some fucking dope music and you did and then all of a sudden do you, do you reckon that there was some type of catalyst from that or not nah? they wouldn't have known uh, the the catalyst uh, sorry sorry sorry, I, sorry, I'm trying to understand. sorry bro uh, for, so DLT, like when you went off and did some work with DLT, did you think that what might have st- like sparked, you know, and the super groove like actually, bro, I don't know. Do you think it was some kind of sure? Um, I'm not too sure, bro. Maybe, like maybe they would have thought oh, he'll be all right. You know, he's all good. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like I'm my own man, bro. I make my own decisions. Don't manipulate me. Uh, that was one. The other thing was we just were, I put eight years of my life into this yeah. and we just finished this world tour, which is about to like, it was going to go crazy, bro. Like, you know what I mean? Like New York uh, playing at CBGB's, which, which is like one of the most legion places in the world of rock. You know what I'm saying? Yo. To be able to play their place and get, a mean crowd and like people was like vibing. Yo, who are these Kiwi cats from la di da di da? Yo, uh, I felt like we were about to go do something large, you know? Uh, but so it was more so that, yeah. that, that sort of compounded it for me. Like, ah, rats, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was stressful, bro. Hella stressful. And so it was a, tur- uh, a turbulent time. I went on the road with Daryl. I was still pretty much up in the air with whether I was going to continue on doing music or whether I was just going to go uh, to university and make video games. <laughs> yeah, that was the plan. That was the plan. Yeah, hey, uh, like, um, this is a story that I read too. It took you 30 seconds to uh, come up with the chorus for Chains in the Bathroom. Is this true? Thanks, bro. Thanks for that. Cheers <laughs> for that. Stroll down memory lane, my G. Yo. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's all true, bro. Oh, that's crazy, bro. Uh, that's such a good It's not bro. really, I don't really recommend that, my G. Uh, yeah, be prepared before you go into the studio. But let me just put the disclaimer in. Like, as far as I knew, I was only, like, asked to do a verse. Write my, write my two verses. That was it. So when I walked in there and the bro was like, yo, got your chorus ready, my G. I was like, uh, what? Uh, so, yeah, that was a funny time, bro. Yeah. That would have been trippy, bro. Like, um, you know, just, yeah, and, and being so young and just, but I suppose you had all these melodies and you kind of were just like, okay, f- from your years of just being musically you, and yeah. uh, it would have just kind of been like, okay, cool. Was it just I something that struck you? Like, boom, 
a, a little bit like you gotta understand at that time i was doing a thing called the realness which the realness was like a was like a, a dj night that we would put on at this place called the box in high street and so what this night would consist of would be like us DJing, me, uh, it would be Emmanuel Bundy, uh, King of PC, uh, DJ Sub-Zero, Fatmospheric, and myself. And we would DJ in these three rooms and we would rap, freestyle. We did this for like three years. You know what I mean? So on that buzz, in terms of being, being able to come up off the top, yeah, yeah, that wasn't too bad. But still, that's not my most ideal situation <laughs> for when I'm putting out my first song and for when I'm doing a track for someone that I really like hold in high regard, like DLT. And so it wasn't really, <laughs> nah, it wasn't really cool, Maji. But uh, yeah, that taught me a lesson. Always, always be prepared. You know what I mean? That song has got so much like uh, depth to it, I suppose. And there's so like just in the lyrics and uh, I mean the whole, the whole thing, but like, was there, was there a lot of kind of like, political kind of ramifications that you came like after you put that song out where people like yo why why are you talking about this for like was there anything like that a little bit more so like people were like yeah bro we feel that you know what i mean i think i basically what i was talking about and what i was saying was stuff that's been on our people's minds anyway mm. you know what i mean and i think it was just refreshing for them to hear it in the style of music because you got to understand that this was before my fame. This was before that, before R and B hip hop was was mainstream like now. Yeah. So back then we were trying to uh, get on. You know what I mean? And at that point it was pretty much MOR, middle of the road rock stations that were running things here in Austra- Australia. And so, uh, not only was it, it felt, not only did it feel good to be writing about those themes, but also it was good to be able to do a rap song, bro, that was from here, and we were talking about here. You know, was it the first time? Like, uh, I mean, because Super Groove, you kind of had little bars here and there, but yeah. we just had the box just spitting mad, mad freeze. And then yes, just, yes, know, yes, and then yes. Plus, sudden, gotta understand, during Super Groove, I was in a crew called Token Village, which was MCs, DJs, and uh, instrument players. You know, oh. we had we had a full band, and so that was also a catalyst for a lot of that sort of training. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. bro, that's 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 buzzy, eh? And then, like, because um, that kind of sparked off, right? Because I mean, Kirk was kind of like, "Hey, like this guy's a free agent. Let's let's pick him up." And and that's what happened, pretty much. Is that correct? And then they picked you straight up. You mean Kirk Harding? Yeah. Nah, nah, nah. So Kirk Harding was actually the A and R for Supergroove. Oh for wow! Supergroove. Yeah, so he was our man for Supergroove. So our careers basically paralleled. He he went up and we went up with him. So he was the guy that discovered us in terms of a record label. So we got Stuart Broughton, who was an amazing manager. And then we, and then, uh, we were approached by many other record companies as Crack Up. I, I wish I could tell you some of the stories that, 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 that went down, like, you know what I mean, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, some of the crazy... Like, they would try and poach you, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh. uh, I'll tell you this one, man. Like, one time we were at this record... Uh, company do and was down Rotorua, and like you know, they were, they were basically schmoozing us. I won't tell you which record company it was, but we go and after the little gig that we did, I'm out in the car park having a relax, <laughs> and uh, these two cats, these two uh, two uh, European guys come over, 
And they were like, oh man, we love the gig. We love the gig. And I'm like, we're, thanks. Appreciate that. And they were like, we're actually from a rival record company. Here's our card. Like, you know, get at us if you don't like these guys. And I was like, oh, shucks. Is that how you guys do it out here? I was like, yo, like they drove to Rotorua. You know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> like, yo. So those crazy things was kind of going on during that period of time. And so, but we eventually uh, ended up uh, going with BMG. And that was with uh, Kirk Harding. And so after us, he, uh, he, he'd always had strong ties with uh, DJ Sevilla, Philip Bell. What up, what up, my G? Uh, and so that's how Phil sort of got involved with uh, me and uh, the Shafu Project. Uh, obviously, uh, also with the UPR Project. Yeah, because he was, was Phil, um, he was an A&R at the time? Was he, a, he was like a yeah like yeah a, yeah he was a naring UPR for a bit because that was his that was his yo. you know what I mean that was his idea that was his thing yeah man and then uh, Kirk uh, you know over, over, oversaw that yeah. yeah but uh that was that was so Kirk didn't pick me up I was already with BMG at the time and we already signed individual deals so we didn't sign together as a band we all signed individually so when I got uh, asked to resign from the band I was still legally. Had a had a contract with uh, BMG at the time. Well, all right, bro. Let's get into to, um, to be specific, bro. Because this is my this is my <clears throat> yo telling you, bro. I had to be specific in my CD player, bro, for a whole year. Never took it out. Never took it out. Like I had one of them spinners. You know, you could put like five different. Sure. Yo, man, I had yo. I <laughs> never took that out. That and Mace Harlem World. Those are my two. Okay, oh, and it was all that, but um, because you you spent some time in New York before you actually like went in on like the production side of things. Is that correct? Yeah. What did bro? Yeah. What did you pick up over there? Oh, how, how do you mean, like, uh, like, like uh, skill wise? Oh, okay. So uh, at that time, I what was I doing? What level was I at? I just to before to be specific. Oh, okay. So during that period of time, I'd been going to uh, a guy called uh, Submariner, Andy Morton. Uh, he had a studio out in Shortland Street in Auckland there. And so we would go to his house, uh, sorry, his studio, sorry. And he'd have all the, all the gear. And so that was the first time we all sort of really sort of got close to the gear. Uh, also, just prior to that, or a few years before that, uh, I was in a crew called Wicked Youth, which was a rap crew. And my DJ at that time, uh, my homie uh, DJ Juice, who later on uh, formed uh, Woodcut. You know Woodcut? Woodcut Productions? Yeah. And so, which was obviously uh, uh, MC, uh, M- MTC, you know what I mean? That whole Young Sid, Tyree, that whole, yeah. that whole ilk. Uh, so he was my DJ at that time. And uh, he had a sampler. And he had like a, a programming... Uh, he had a program that ran on this crazy old uh, Atari. It was the it was called the Atari Notator, and that's what I wrote Waka on. Yeah, you know, uh, and so that's the sort of stuff I was working with at that time. So I go over to New York, and uh, part of the the mission was to to link up with a producer, help me produce this album. So the producers that I saw and met, it was all good, but. Me personally, I mean, music is subjective, right? I got my own tastes. I got my own feels. I wasn't feeling it. And so um, I basically came back. And the thing that I learned was to stick to my guns. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the thing that I learned was that 
to be myself and to be original because when I went over to the States, the thing that I noticed was that everybody was coming up with angles, you know what I mean? So right at that time, Wu-Tang Wu Forever had just come out. So they were, they were still doing their, their second and third album type thing. Biggie, Ready to Die had just dropped because when I left New Zealand, I had the vinyl with me. Do you know what I mean? I had the yeah. vinyl with me. Wow. Went over there, the vinyl wasn't even in New York. It wasn't even there. Whoa. Do you know what I'm saying? Shit. So New Zealand at that time was quite, quite, you know, on the pulse. You know what I mean? That's crazy. You wouldn't think yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Because when we went over there, well, this is what happened. When we went over there, I left the records in Grey Lynn. But what happened was that the record company had mistimed the flights. So they had to fly us back after one week to go to the music awards. You know what I mean? Oh. And during that first week when I was in New York, I, I noticed that no one had the vinyl and people were lining up at Loud Records for posters. You know what I mean? People were at Mad Lines just for the posters. Fuck. So when I came back home, I grabbed the vinyl, I brought it back and I was like, yo, you know what I mean? And so uh, basically, uh, Tim, what I learned was that just to stick to my guns, because like I mentioned, people were trying to come up with angles over there. So they were trying to make crew, like horrorcore was buzzing at that time. Wow. You know what I mean? Everybody trying to, you know what I mean? Come up with a theme, like an angle. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, like cowboy rap or, you know what I'm saying? And so what that meant for me was that I just had to be uh, myself because, you know, we're from the Pacific and we got enough, you know, enough stories to tell. Oh, was that around so, the time that like, uh, like Digital Underground was doing like the Humpty shit? Was that nah, around? No, 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 no. No, that was way before that. Okay. That was way before. So I'm talking like 96, okay. 97. So 97, I went out there. Yo. Yo, man, that's good. And, uh, and so basically, I was paid to go out there, soak up the atmosphere, go to shows, go to gigs, uh, see what's what. I went to the DMCs out there. I saw Craze when he was like 17. Oh. You know? Uh, and so we spent like a couple of months out there. I came back just full, fully confident. And uh, and started the record out of the uh, Shortland Street there because it was you and it was you and Daryl right that went over. No, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah me and Daryl went over. Yeah. And then like, because the they kind of with 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 the, um was the label kind of like yo Daryl's gonna produce m most of your stuff, and then you were like, is it, was that how it worked? And then you were like, no, 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 because you went away and you came back and you're like, yo, this is my vibe. Yo, if you're fucking with yeah. you, you're fucking with it. Either roll yeah. with me or roll against me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and they were kind of like, okay, you could do what you want. Or was it, because I know that Daryl was a good dude and, you know. Yeah, so when we went over there, he was doing his own deals. He was doing his separate deals for his record. Because at, at that time, he was working on uh, Altruism, which was his, uh, uh, yep. his second, yeah, his second record. Uh, and so, and I was doing my own deals as well. And then when we came back, uh, the, uh, the A&R at that time, Kirk, wanted me to work with Daryl on the album. We tried that. That didn't work out. And so uh, I ended up moving lifts. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I ended up going out with, going to make it with my crew. And like I said, at that time, I was uh, sort of in Token Village and Andy Morton was a part of that crew. Yeah. And so basically all those guys, Ned Star, a.k.a. Killerman Raro, King Capisi, all, the, all my boys, basically, all mucked in as we would for each other and uh, help put my record together, to be specific. And because yeah. Phil was part of that, right? Like, Phil was helpful in terms of, like, he he brought his knowledge to, to the thing as well? So after uh, I basically sort of didn't do it with Daryl, uh, Kirk went with uh, DLT to do his project as well as UPR, and then Phil got put on me. Yo. 
So that's how I got Phil. He was my A&R. And then just before my album dropped, Phil left and went on to uh, do another business out at uh, Real Group. Uh, sorry, uh, at uh, Beat Merchants. Oh, wow. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I used to, man, Beat Merchants was the jam, yo. Yo, yo, straight up. Yeah, that that used to be my that used to be my circle. I used to come out from out south. I'd go to the loft to look for looking for some sneakers. Then I would go to loaded, and then I'd go across the road to Beat Merchants, get me a mixtape, give me something crazy, and then I'd go home. And that was, uh, yeah, I could because you know you don't want to park too long in that Victoria Street yep. park. You're just like, nah. yeah, brother. Okay, bro. So like, um, bro, like uh, that Walker beat, my G. Who Yo. who was in charge of that, bro? Because whoever was that Chong Lee or was that somebody else? No, I made that, bro. You made that shit. Yeah. Fuck. Like I said, I made it on the note setter. Yeah, I mentioned yeah. it before. So yeah, 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 I made that, bro. Fuck, yeah, bro. Yeah. That, that yo, if that and uh, no matter what order that whole, because it's like a story. Like I, when I listen to uh, to be specific, it's a story for me. Like it starts off and then you go straight like from, from your intro and then seafood round one or whatever it says, and then straight into that, bro. And yeah. Like, was it like, like, were you just like, that beat has to be the first thing that comes in as soon as we play? As soon as we uh, play? When it comes to the album, I definitely was, I came from that uh, record-making style of doing concept records. Like, yeah. so, as opposed to, like, just putting a whole bunch of songs together and, you know what I mean? For uh, I tried to make records that had a, you know what I mean? So that you could listen to it in one listening, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, and so in that way, yeah, that's how the, the, you know, the intro, the theatrical sort of side of things and the general flow of it was sort of planned. Yeah. yeah. Cause you already had chains out with, with, uh, with the album and that was like a single in itself before the album, even uh, after the, before the album came out, but did you know which one was going to be your first single after you finished the album? It's a good question. Uh, shucks. Not really, not really. Like, uh, I was still sort of learning the game at that time. And so I just wanted to make a, a cohesive album first and then extrapolate whatever single might work commercially after that. But I ended up being too clever for my own boots and I got caught out a couple of times. So I learned a lot of lessons on that record. Basically, I made a mistake and I wrote a song that I thought was the one and I put it and I, I submitted it to be the single and uh, the record company didn't agree with me. So they asked for, for an option, for a second option for me. So me trying to be a clever guy, I, I wrote a, what I thought was a pretty naff shitty song and, <laughs> and then they went for it, <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh, and I, I got myself into, into a position where I, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't want to do that again. What was that so, song? Ah oh, shit. <laughs> it was without a doubt, bro. It wow. was without a doubt. And so I'd written Machine Talk to be the one. So if you know the video, at the end of that, there's a little snippet of Machine Talk. Yep. So I, I actually put a lot of effort into Machine Talk as being the, the first single and the being the main sort of thing. With yeah. Machine Talk, bro, and this is this is the analogy that I came up with. Is it about the rat race, bro? Absolutely. Oh, there. Boom, I got it. I was telling my mate that. He's like, no, no, no. I was like, fucking A. It's about the rat race and everything like that. Yeah. And so the incident was just happening, bro. Just back then. The incident was just happening. Like, you know what I'm saying? That period of time. I wasn't even on that shit. Yeah. I guess I was one of them late adopters. Like, no, that's the devil, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, obviously, that's a moot point now. But uh, that's what that song was sort of written 
for yeah definitely the, that whole sort of rat race I wouldn't have thought that bro because like you use the word online and I know that when that song came out the word online wasn't everywhere it was just nah, like nah you're you know? right you're right you're right yeah. but see here but you wouldn't even think about it now but back then it was like a whole so I was basically projecting bro I was thinking man this is what could happen you yeah. know what I mean if the internet goes crazy this is what could happen man and so a lot of the songs were written like that you know what I mean trying to you know what I mean? Trying to guess guess what's going to happen. You Man, know I mean? without a doubt, it's one of my favorite tunes, brother. Uh, my bad, G. My bad, bro. You just that shit for my me, bad, My bad, my bad. Yo, my bad, bro. My bad, bro. I'm going to, yo, yeah. you watch after this podcast. I'm going back and I'm listening to it again. And I'm like, actually, he's yo. got a good point. <laughs> my bad, bro. Oh, bro. And then scene three, bro, that's another one. I'm just like, yo, what, how did, what was the thought process behind scene three? Like in terms of writing it? Uh, scene three. Yeah. Uh, that was my attempt at trying to write a love song, bro. Yeah. I, I so I'm not really the man at that, like, you know what I mean? Never, it's, I don't know, man. I guess I've gotten older and things are a little bit more easier. But at that age, I wasn't, you know what I mean? I was kind of, because of the stuff that I was listening to at that time, you know what I mean? I was listening to J.Ru, The Damager, you know what I mean? Wu-Tang, Mob Deep, you know what I mean? They ain't much love song, uh, you know, inspirations. Like, maybe, like, maybe you're all I need by Myth of Man, but you know what I'm saying? That's that's how heavy I could get, get with it in terms of love songs. So Man, that was I, my... I got to call you out on that shit, okay? Because oh. I know you're a D'Angelo fan, and I yo, know yo. D'Angelo was, yo, around that time, D'Angelo yeah. was banging, G. Yeah, yeah. Bro, it was just D'Angelo. <laughs> that was it. That was it. You're right. You're right. Yeah, just, just D'Angelo. You know what I'm saying? But you got to understand, I was fully like... Uh, you were in that. You were in the womb, bro. Well, I was pretty small-minded when it came to that because at that time, I wouldn't even mess with R&B. You yeah. know what I mean? I wouldn't even play that shit. Yeah. I was just like, at the realness, that thing I was telling you about, three years of boom bap. You know what I mean? Yo. Strictly. I wouldn't even mess with that stuff. I only started playing R&B uh, in the last decade or so. Ever since I... Uh, Sort of did this show down in Wellington with my sensei, DJ Vraw. Shouts to DJ Vraw. And uh, yeah, man, I just thought, man, you know what? It's time to like try and make people happy. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Not just myself. So yeah, back to your question. Scene three was my first go at trying to uh, write a love song. And so I used uh, a kung fu scene out of a movie called uh, Iron Monkey. uh, As as it inspired me, it moved me to to, to try and write this uh, love song. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, um, bro, like, even just, I mean, the kung fu movies and, and, and kung fu movies in general, bro, was that like, was Wu-Tang like the amalgamation of everything you love, bro? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, bro. I, I was the same. <laughs> pretty much. Bro. Yeah, that spoke to my heart. Yo, yo yep. I yep, was the 100%. same. When, yep. when I first heard 36 Chambers, bro, and I was like, holy shit. I just yeah. finished watching the whole, like, I was watching Bruce Lee on VHS, and then my my bro was like, yo, check this, and he had the vinyl for 36 Chambers, and yeah. I was just like, wow, can you put that on the tape for me, my brother? And then I just listened to that regard, like, yeah, that was my yep. champ, bro. Yeah. And you work with them, right? You work with a couple blue dudes? I did work on one of the tracks that got re- released uh, as part of an international project. Yeah, called Click Click. Oh. Yeah. And uh, basically, they just sent out the instrumental and you can just record a verse on it, spit it back. So they didn't, we didn't, we didn't Actually, hit the studio together. Yeah. You know what I mean? But uh, still, it was, uh, it was hella uh, humbling. You know what I mean? Shout well, out to Kirk for that one. All right, Shay, I'm going to impress you with my segues right now, brother. Oh. Okay, here we go. Super Groove 
and I know that you're a Jordan fan, brother. Super Groove, Super Groove, I believe, was your North Carolina brother. I reckon, oh. yo. And then I reckon, I reckon, to be specific, was you, you could was the first three years of Jordan, right? You know, just learning the ropes. You know, going in, going in, and seeing the old, the old teammates fucking sniffing the lines and going, no, 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 I'm here to fucking work. <laughs> Oh, fuck, he's a, <laughs> yo, he's a mad snitch, eh? Let's be... <laughs> uh, when I watched it, I was like, damn, Mike, how are you going to snitch on your teammates like that? True, true, true. But true, I true, feel, true. in my heart of hearts, Navigator was your was your first three-peat, my G. Like, I oh, honestly cool. think so. If I, I look at that at that track listing, and I even put it up on my um on stream right now, I honestly think you were just... You learned everything from... Especially from Chains. Chains was like your... Your draft night, I suppose. And then to be specific was like, okay, let's figure this shit out. Let's find out how to score. Let's find out how to make my teammates better. And then all of a sudden, bro, Navigator came along and you were just like, bro. It was like everything I knew you would, you know, like as a kid, I was like, bro, that's my G right there. And and like, bro, did you feel like the melodies, like, because I think like the melodies in terms of like to be specific, you probably had in your head for years and years and years and stuff like that. But how was it different kind of finding melodies for, for Navigator? I feel you, bro. So uh, that's a good question uh, for you songwriters out there. Here's a good one for you. So when, when I was with Supergroove, we'd, we'd, we'd talk about like releasing albums and, and, and we'd talk about other famous rock artists, famous international artists, uh, you know, like the the kings of the 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 game, like you know, guys like uh, uh, David Bowie, uh, Bob Dylan, uh, Bob Marley. You know what I mean? Uh, and for us, we really wanted to concentrate on the second album because our 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 belief was the first album was always going to be your first album, so it's possible probably going to get the most uh, attention purely on that alone. The second album is the truly hard record because obviously, like you mentioned, the first album will have all your best ideas, everything that you know up until that point. And then after that, what do you have? And so I've always been into the long game. So I always sort of had that in my mind to not necessarily not put awesome songs on the first album, but to also have a mind on the second record. And so for you to say that, I appreciate that, bro, because yeah, by the time I did The Navigator, I was really comfortable with uh, being able to go to a studio, being able to run the room, being able to tell the engineer what I need and what I don't need, because being, uh, I guess, like a lot of us brothers out there, I was a little intimidated when I was in that uh, position. Hey, okay. You know what I mean? When you're in a massive studio and there's all these guys, like, you know what I mean? They, if you let it go, they'll, they'll, take control you know what I mean that's how it's happened for me in the past yeah. and so I just needed to like uh, uh, just fucking grab my nuts and like just try and like run it you know what I mean and so the Navigator record was was definitely uh, like that for me so I kind of knew what I was doing I uh, everything was prepared when we hit the studio we smashed that like you know what I mean yeah uh, we were we were creating we we're producing oh man we were doing like stuff that I always wanted to try like, you know what I mean? Tape compression was huge for me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, on the drums, to make those drums sound like rap drums, that was life for me. Do you know what I mean? Meaning, like, I really wanted to know how they did that, how they made, how, how uh, you know, Clive Stubberfield made the funky drummer. I want to know how they did that. So 
did a lot of research. Uh, I was lucky enough that I had a budget that could allow me to go to the studio and really utilize the whole thing from, from where to go. And so, yeah, uh, the Navigator was, was uh, an awesome time. Because even, uh, even, even like commercially, like, you know, that you had a lot of success. And I suppose this was at a time when like Mai was getting, you know, its feet and, and they started running and they started being able to, to push out, you know, like, um, um, I mean, your tunes and stuff like that. Um, bro, what's your favorite, like, uh, in terms of like single wise, what was the first single off um, Navigator? Was it Misty Freak? Oh, damn, you got me. Uh, or Fade Away. Oh, oh, I think it was Fade Away, bro. Okay. Yeah, which one, sure. which one would you, uh, was that your choice? Yes. Yep. Yes, it was. Yep. Because that tune, even today, like, I, I, yeah, even today, I still am just like, all the time, like, uh, before we came on, I was like, yo, let's, let's, let's give you a favorite, um, like, you know, Shay lyrics and stuff like that. And that was the first one that would pop up, man. Is that the, is that the most kind of requested song that you reckon that you've, uh, like, Fade Away would be? Sure. Uh, I- Actually, bro, for me, like of late, I don't know it's just, it's just, if it's just in the last couple of years, but for me, it's been Waka. I don't know. Maybe because I get a lot of wedding, like, like, yeah. like people, like they, they use it a lot of weddings. I don't know, but I seem to see that one of late. I don't know why, but yeah. It's cool, bro. Yeah, yeah. What I really, I mean, my favorite track on there, and this is me coming from, you know, my, my Māori heritage was uh, Kotahi. And just to hear you bring the real to the masses, brother, was like, yep. oh, snap. Like, this is amazing. And, um, you know, that's something that my nan can listen to. You know what I'm saying? And, and like, um, yeah, I was really like, yeah, I I, I don't want to use the word proud because, you know, but I was proud. Oh, no, I will use it. I was proud <laughs> as my G. I was oh, like, I fuck, bro, that's my, like, because, you know, and it was like, bro, I came up in the era when LeBron was in high school, right? And like you would watch LeBron and you'd be like, yo, fuck, that's LeBron in high school. And we had to download his games on fucking Napster, brother. Like I was like getting that stuff and reading about him in slam magazines, and things like that. And then when he got to the league, you're like, oh, cool. And now you watch him and you're like, bro, I'm proud of that dude. That dude took all of that stuff. And it's very similar to like when I, when I, uh, you know, like in the last couple of weeks, I've just been going through the albums and just going, man, like there's so many, so many just bangers bro and then i just yeah man i just gotta I, if there was a time that i could give you props bro and say thank you this is the time so thank you bro. oh my man oh i appreciate that my man yeah bro thank you top yeah. floor is another one bro i, I really appreciated you know and it, it was really like for me i was like fuck man like it's you know it's some real touchy like i felt that i felt the stuff in top floor and and yeah, so I'm I'm glad that um other people like you know for both for to be specific and for um Navigator like I feel where like you know it, it it was the soundtrack of me growing up and um yeah I just wanted to make sure that um you know and not just me there's a lot of people you know oh kill bro I appreciate that yeah, yeah I mean like it still uh you know makes you feel kind of a way to hear such things now still. <laughs> you know what I mean, bro. I appreciate that, bro. Uh, as a songwriter, to think that my words would go, you know, what I mean, further than just my room is still a little bit of a buzz for me. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you one, bro. Like, I remember one time I was out in Australia a few years back, a very long time ago, in fact. And like, this dude just hit me up, and he was like, "Bro, I love your music. It really saved me and it helped me." 
I was like, you know, I was like, oh, thanks, man. And he goes, yeah, I was in a, sorry, man, I don't want to like, you know, buzz you out, but I was in an Asian prison for like <laughs> 10 years, wow. bro. And uh, one, one day your song came on, man, and it really lifted me up. I appreciate that. Thank you. And then he, and he just moved on. And so, you know, I just, that, that sort of stuff, and to hear you, and, and it still, like, you know, makes me feel, wow, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and so I appreciate it, brother. I sincerely do. Do you get a lot of people that...